want to welcome you to Season 2 of The Edge of the Airy, a podcast that is intended to highlight some of the amazing staff and stakeholders that we have at Lincoln Charter and to share some of the college experiences of our guests. Thanks for listening. All right, so let's get to today's guest. I am super excited to be speaking with Miss Leslie Riley, who is our reigning teacher of the year, and she is an English teacher for us at our Lincolnton campus, high school teacher. Welcome, Miss Riley, to Edge of the Area. Thank you for having me. All right, so I'm going to do a little bit of a different intro here because this is going to be closed with a question, um, but this was the, when you were named teacher of the year, this was the little verbiage from the person that nominated you. Okay. So for those of you who don't know our teacher of the year process, a colleague will nominate their colleague sort of as a shout out. And that then puts you into the pool of eligible folks to be the teacher of the year. And so Miss Riley has that designation for 2023, 2024. Lots of responsibility with that, Miss Riley. Uh, here, here goes. Miss Riley, often known as quote unquote, Mama Riley to her students, has displayed an affectionate and knowledgeable leadership that has spanned a generation. Her style is ambidextrous because she meets students with teaching where they are with one hand, and on the other hand, she is emotionally connected with her students to empathize with various backgrounds. Miss Riley is a true example of what it means to be a golden eagle. Please consider her for this award. So that is sort of maybe one of the better introductions that one could have. In addition to that, our staff engagement officer, Miss Heidi Martin, shout out to Miss Heidi Martin, somehow got Elvis in the flesh to come and sing to all of our teachers of the year. If you haven't seen those pictures, you got to check them out on social media. But first question on Edge of the Area, Miss Riley, have you ever been serenaded by Elvis before or since that moment? No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite, quite a moment. Quite a moment. I honestly thought y'all were going to make me dance. Well, that was not part of the cards, but hopefully you did feel a little bit like dancing um, because it certainly was a very appropriate celebration of you, your career, sort of all of the influence that you have that is very positive in this community and at our school. And so um, I hope you feel loved and very appreciated. So with all that introduction and with our first uh, reference of the King and Mama Riley, I'm going to refer to you as Mama Riley during this episode, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. So I actually grew up just west of the Lincoln campus mm -hmm. on Gainesville Church Road. Um, show you how old I am. I remember <laughs> when this was all farms and we actually called Eagle Nest Drive Green Box Road mm -hmm. because there were two dumpsters there. Um, with that being said, I grew up there. I went to West Lincoln High School mm -hmm. and um, graduated in 1987. I am the daughter of the late Bill Riley and Nancy Riley, who is still around. And I have a, I have to call him handsome, but an ugly little brother, Tom okay. Riley, yeah. <laughs> who right. teaches at the North Carolina School for the Deaf. Okay. Yeah. And then I have one biological child. Uh, Addie Marie McAllister. And then I have my adopted son, which I don't have uh, legal custody of, but he's mine. And that's Brad Newton. Okay. And you're, for those that are not watching the video feed, you're doing air quotes there with your adopted 
right? Right. Yeah. He was actually um, a part, my brother and I taught at West Lincoln High School together okay. for a short period of time, and he inherited the men's soccer team. And is, I, is that in like a will or something? Or uh, how <laughs> well, do you inherit something like that? Well, it's when you just can't find a coach and the athletic director says, I need you to coach this team. Okay. And I showed up to his first game and I became the assistant coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understand there wasn't soccer year in the 80s, so I had no clue what was going on. Long story short, Brad was a junior at the time, and uh, I just became really close with his family. Mm -hmm. His mom had uh, deceased, and I just became like the surrogate mom. Not just for him, but for that whole entire team, because that's how I got the name Mama Riley. Gotcha. So probably one example of many in a tradition of seeing a need and jumping in with both feet, I would imagine. Yeah, he's not the first one, and he, <laughs> I'm hoping I don't adopt anymore because I am <laughs> getting older. But uh, yes, I have taken quite a few, several children in and helped them along the way. Well, I hope hope some of your adopted kids are listening, and I'm sure that they're uh, singing your praises knowing you. That's great. Tell us a little bit about your teaching career, because you mentioned West Lincoln High School, so you were an alumni there and uh, then went back to teach. I was an alumni there. Mm -hmm. And so in 91, when I graduated, there was not a shortage of teachers. So it was a very competitive field. Okay. The job I landed was at East Lincoln Middle School. And so I was there for four years. And then I was able to, actually, I left teaching for about six months. And uh, Wes Lincoln called me mm -hmm. and wanted me to interview. So I was at East Middle for four years and then 26 at West Lincoln High School. So you speak middle school and you speak high school, both languages. <clears throat> middle school, I call a tour of duty. <laughs> <laughs> that... I'm a, a recovering middle school teacher myself. I so understand. That's a great part of my life, but definitely a different language than uh, compared to other grades, for sure. What about passions or hobbies, or what do you like to do when you're not adopting kids or uh, spreading some English knowledge? Currently, I'm enjoying being an empty nester. Okay. So that's that's that's, that's important just, to say. Yes. So in my spare time right now, I'm enjoying redecorating my house. I am very passionate collector of Catawba Valley pottery. Okay. I do enjoy reading in my spare time. I like being outside and I spend a lot of time with the family. I'm very passionate about Special Olympics because uh, my nephew does have autism. Okay. So very involved. We try to stay involved in that. And of course, my pets. Mm -hmm. Two cats and a dog. That's all. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a common friend of ours, Lisa Frazier, who's <laughs> um, also Special Olympics involved um, and has been for many years, um, was maybe a connection for you at Lincoln Charter. Is that correct? Lisa Frazier and I go back to when I was in high school. When I was in the 10th grade, it was Lisa's first year as a special education teacher at West Lincoln High School. She was also the JV girls basketball coach. Could um, she dunk? Uh, no, I never saw her dunk. <laughs> I think she hoped I could because she looked at me one day in the hall and said, you're going to play basketball because you're the tallest thing in the building. Okay. And I said, oh, I'm not really good. And she said, all I need you to do is just stand under the goal and hold your hands up. And I said, okay. So um, at the time, uh, my parents were separating and um, Lisa was my only way back and forth 
mm-hmm. to basketball practice. So she'd take me. And so from basketball, then she introduced me to the students who had special needs at school, right. got involved with them, and then the pathway started. Yeah. I even worked with her my first job at East Middle. We were co-teachers together. So when she got the job here at the charter school, she called me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, love her to love her to pieces and a lot of times good people hang out with good people. So that's uh, not surprising. So you have been at Lincoln Charter for just just a handful of years. Uh, two. two. This is your third. this is your third year. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Lincoln Charter. What your what your job is here. Um, kind of what your role is. Initially, when I first arrived, I was the ninth grade English teacher. Uh, when I came in, I realized that we didn't have a school library, which was something I wasn't used to, but Mm -hmm. I was used to having my own classroom library. Mm -hmm. So with the help of you and everyone else, I was able to create a classroom library and I hope instill a love of reading with that group, which I carry on to this day. This year, I have moved up to 10th grade English. So a little nervous because it does have an EOC, Mm -hmm. but I think we're going to be okay as long as we just keep reading. That's a simple fix to a lot of uh, a lot of challenges. Keep reading, right? Mm-hmm. In your experience at the school, is there anything that you'd like to mention about the school or the community that you appreciate or that strikes you in a certain way? So I was public school for thirty years, and I, from the very first year to the last year, I was always used to having to provide for my own classroom mm-hmm. with my money out of my pocket. And um, as a single mom, that was tough. And so when I arrived here and I was told, just tell us what you need. I was very hesitant, very, because I guess I want to (laughs) say I didn't trust you (laughs) because, you know, fair enough. Sure. Be for real. I mean, you know, as 30 years of buying your own stuff. And so started submitting saw things happening. Um, I was just overwhelmed. I shared with you last year that I had survivor's guilt um, Mm -hmm. because I came in and I had my friends still in the public schools spending their own money, furnishing their classrooms. And here, all I have to say is I need this. And it was hard for me, but greatly appreciated because now I don't feel like my students have to I don't have to uh, compromise what we're wanting to do or how I want to go about teaching something because I don't have the supplies. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have those and I'm very grateful for that. We're not using books that I find at yard sales or, or Goodwill, you know, that look tattered and torn mm-hmm. um, because there's nothing like handing a brand new book to a, a person, mm-hmm. you know, because it has the smell, it has the look. I mean, it's just exciting for me anyway. Yep. So I just, for many of us. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it's just like, I couldn't believe it. So last year, I still didn't trust you. I still bought, <laughs> I still bought, I think 50 composition notebooks and all of that. And, this year, I trusted you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I just bought my dry erase markers that were special colors. Sure. Yeah, and just a few little things. So it, it's just amazing, like the support and the community and just, I don't know, just it just feels like what a school should feel like. 
as far as the support of the teachers. You have the autonomy to make the decision because you are a professional as to what's best for your students. Mm -hmm. You would know this better than me in a lot of ways, but I don't know of any school that is funded to the extent that it should be. And so all schools have money considerations and are trying to do the best that they can with the dollars that they have, but none of us have enough dollars. So I'm glad you feel supported for sure. Right. Because what I see here, and I I don't know because I haven't been here, but I feel like here you're real creative. You think outside the box about how, how can we fund this? How can we make this happen? with what means we have. There's a lot of willingness to look at here. I feel like there's a lot of willingness to look at how can we make that happen with what we have. Yeah. Part of the value of a charter school, it's a benefit and a drawback sort of at the same time, but part of the value is some autonomy and sort of like what you mentioned with being able to think creatively and not being sort of bound by you have to spend these dollars on this very specific thing, Um, being able to think about it from a bigger picture perspective. So glad you feel supported. I hope that is the experience of all of our staff members for sure. And I certainly, I know our finance department and our school board is always dedicated to making sure that quality teachers have what they need to do to do the right thing for their classes and their kids. So tell us a little bit about your college experience. Well, my college experience was unique. Um, I had decided that I wanted to be, well, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I knew I was teetering on being a teacher, but I was also into um, psychology and criminal justice. So I had applied to several colleges like UNCG, Pfeiffer, UNCC, Mm -hmm. and Sacred Heart College. For those of y'all who don't know, Sacred Heart College was actually the sister college to Belmont Abbey. Okay. The sisters mm-hmm. ran that part. Okay. And so when I decided I wanted to do special education, another mentor teacher told me, go to Sacred Heart. It's the best school around. Mm-hmm. And plus I was anti-app. Like everybody I knew was going to <laughs> Appalachian at the time. And I was like, I want to be different. Okay. So (laughs) I threw it in and I said, I'm I'm going to Sacred Heart. Took the tour, had all the financial aid set up. And um, it was July and I was supposed to attend that August. Okay. And my mom says, you might want to come and watch 1130 News at, you know, nighttime news. And I said, okay. And I go in there and it says Sacred Heart College is closing their doors. Wow. We had, I had no idea. We weren't given any notification, nothing. So I panicked because all those other schools I had already said, no, I'm not coming. Wow. Yeah. So thank goodness to a um, one of my high school counselors. She met me at school one day and we just got the big college handbook out and we started flipping. Hmm. And we found Catawba College. Uh, I just told her, I said, I'm just, I made an appointment and I went down to Catawba with transcript in hand. I applied that day. I handed on my financial aid information and they said, you're in. Wasn't where I was planning on going, but it was a blessing. It was mm-hmm. a true blessing. My major there was psychology with an emphasis in special education. There were only two of us in that program. Wow. Small cohort. So we did the bulk of our academics at Catawba, Mm -hmm. but Catawba, here I go, was 
in conjunction with Appalachian, mm, your, your we old had, nemesis. Yeah, yeah, we had to go to Appalachian for a semester because Catawba was not accredited to certify us as special education. So they worked with Appalachian. So needless to say, my senior year fall, I had to go to Appalachian. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. It it really was because here we were, both of us, we were seniors and we walk into all these advanced classes and these people are looking at us like, who are you? And um, Catawba was kind of ignoring us because we weren't on campus mm-hmm. and um, we didn't even have housing. We were actually staying at a boarding house. So, Wow. <laughs> it, Interesting. It, yes. <laughs> so a closing your school closed and you were accepted kind of on the spot? On the spot at Catawba. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had two weeks until we had to go. And then you ha- had to go to the school that you were trying to avoid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But sounds like you made some lemonade with those lemons that life gave you and it all worked out in the end. Yes. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I learned that you just have to roll with it. You can't give up and you have to know that there's a greater plan. You're destined for something. Just, it may not be where you thought it was going to be. Right. Um, because at Catawba, it was great. I loved it. It was a small campus. The professors there were just wonderful. Um, and then I had to go to Appalachian and I learned that I could survive a big college. Mm-hmm. When I wasn't sure I could. Right. I also found out that big colleges had better food. Okay. Yeah. That's good. That was a plus. Um, And I also learned that we could, two of us could survive in a boarding house, Mm -hmm. you know, when it was just, it was just, I don't know, it was just a different experience Hmm. from most college experiences. So if if you had to do it all over again, did you do it the same way, you think? Yes, definitely. I would go back to Catawba. Yes, I would go back to Appalachian if I had to. The one thing I would do differently, and that's what I try to tell my students now, focus on your grades. Grades are important, Mm -hmm. but they're not the end-all, be-all. I spent my time studying all the time. And then I was in a relationship with somebody back home. Mm -hmm. So I would spend all week studying at school come home every weekend and then go back to school. And I realized my brother followed my steps. He went to Catawba. He could stay there all four years. I realized the big difference between the two of us is he had great grades, but he had a great time. He built lifelong relationships Mm -hmm. because he stayed on campus. He participated in the extracurricular activities. And looking back, while the grades were important, what he has right now with those lifelong relationships, to me, is more important. Hmm. Because even though I graduated with honors, he didn't. He had enough to get a master's degree. And now we're both in the same profession, Mm -hmm. (laughs) making the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. But yet he's got a group of guys he meets with every year and spends time with. And Mm -hmm. I wished... I had that. I mean, I wish I went to the hairband shows and the football games and, you know, so I don't want kids to think that the grades are, are what college is all about. It's the complete experience of knowing, Mm -hmm. getting to know your professors and just everybody around you just experience it. Mm -hmm. So why did, why do you think you had that perspective about your grades? 
Um, it came because, like I said, my parents were divorced. Um, being honest, at the time, my mom worked for uh, a drugstore here in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Okay. So financially, I knew I had to have grades to get scholarships. Yeah because I had the uh, prospective teacher scholarship loan. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to keep the GPA up. Yep. So I really think it was all about just keeping the financial aid in place so it wouldn't put a burden right. on the family. Yeah. So pressures that sort of led right. to that. Yeah. Well, and hopefully I know you have great relationships with your, your families and your students and hopefully we all learn from everybody's experiences to some extent. And so hopefully somebody's listening to this that might might take a little bit of a balanced approach when they hit college. Same thing really applies to high school in a lot of ways as well, right? And just making sure that you're involved and that you're giving back to the community if you're available if you're able to do that and making sure that the academics are very important, but there's also a lot of other opportunities to take advantage of and hopefully help make yourself a well-rounded person at the same time, if that's fair. Oh, yes. So you went to school, you didn't know what you wanted to be when you grew up, um, but you did go to school to be a teacher and that ended up being your career, which is sometimes a little bit of an anomaly. Were, were there any experiences in college that did prepare you to be an amazing teacher and a uh, soccer coach and giving back <laughs> like sort of, sort of your, like what you ended up doing. Um, were there any specific experiences in college that helped you with that? Yes. So when I went to Appalachian for the semester, I realized that Catawba had afforded me lots of hands-on experience. I had lots of hands-on experiences with different ages, different people with differing disabilities Okay, that really was able to help me see, is this really what I want to do is, mm -hmm. you know, yep. uh, the hands-on experience. The other thing, my junior year, it was exam week, May, of course, and um, packed up, ready to come home and realized that once I got home, my dad was having a heart attack. Oh, wow. But with that being said, so I had to stay home. He had to have bypass surgery, had exams, didn't know what to do. And I say this because there was a professor, Dr. Pat Whitley, Lord bless her. She actually mailed my exam to me with a return envelope because, you know, that was back in the day before emails. Mm -hmm. And she said, if you will sit down with your mother and take your exam and just mail it back to me. Wow. She showed me what it was like to meet somebody where they were. Wow. You know, just, I was shocked, but it didn't surprise me about her. So that was an aha moment that you have to help people. You have to, you just have to know the people you're working with. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a powerful story. Tell me her name again. Um, Pat Whitley. Pat Whitley. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, shout out to Professor Whitley. She also taught me not to chew gum when I'm speaking to people. <laughs> I can confirm you're not chewing gum. I'm not right chewing now. gum. That's great. Mama Riley, you have a special education background. Yes. And you're now in a regular education classroom. Is there any benefit to having the background and the experiences that you have? I'm sort of, this is a softball question, um, but is there, is there any benefit 
to having that special ed background and then transitioning into a regular ed classroom? And, and if so, what, what are those benefits? While I was at West Lincoln, I worked with some really strong English teachers. Mm-hmm. So in, I in turn received my certification in English. So what I've taken from all of that is I can take my knowledge of how to modify how to gauge where students are academically. Mm -hmm. And I can put that into place in the regular classroom. I can also, I feel like I can look at how to present material, maybe in shorter formats, or just really look at what is necessary. Mm -hmm. Kind of of meeting, meeting people where they are. Right. In some ways. Right. So it's like I try to find out what the student's interested in. And then from there, I can um, give them the work that's going to motivate them. Mm -hmm. But also, if I have a student who's struggling, I know how to scaffold. Mm -hmm. I know how to um, use the skills that I learned. I know that hands-on is really important. So we try different learning styles. I know some kids um, would rather draw than write. Sure. So draw, draw your ideas or write your, whichever way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not such a stickler with how you give me what you know. Like if we sit down and we talk and I know that you can tell me your answers better than writing them down, then let's do that. Because in the end, my assessments are just gauging where you're at, what do you know, and what do we need to work on? Takes some gumption to give up some of that control, though. <laughs> There's a there. It's a, it's funny because some some teachers are more Type A and like and everybody has their own teaching and learning style. Um, but it is interesting to hear your approach and to and to know how respected you are and how and kind of the the impact that you have and know how flexible you try to be. It's just interesting from a guy's perspective that sees a lot of different kinds of teachers. This is what I do. This is the question I ask myself and I ask and I tell my students, what is it going to matter 10 years from now? If I give you a paper pencil test or Mm -hmm. I assess your knowledge verbally or in a way that you can tell me what you know, What's it going to matter 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. It does does take some guts to uh, to have that approach. And it also is probably more work in some capacity. But I appreciate you having that, that worldview and perspective. And I know your students do too. Is there anything, so you mentioned that you were kind of not as involved in college and college life, sort of student life things as you would have liked, but you, you do have some involvement with special olympics and so you you've you have some civic engagement and uh coaching and and whatnot anything about any of those experiences that you want to highlight or talk about oh my goodness um probably coaching soccer was it was the best thing that i ever did well i didn't really coach i was just the mama uh, um, and I say that because um, <laughs> when my brother took over the program, it was that year he was expecting his son. Okay. So he knew he was going to have to be out. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited because he was going to be out the week we played Lincoln Charter. Oh. 
Yeah, okay. right out here. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, I get to be coach. And one of my sweet players came up to me and he said, coach is coach and you're mama. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I tried. But <clears throat> that experience taught me just so much about how much of an impact coaches have on students' lives. Like as a teacher, you know, well, you don't know until 10 years down the line, really, mm -hmm. what kind of impact you have. But you can see lots of impacts, it seems like, quicker when you're working with students all hours of the day, you know, on the weekends, spending lots of time. And it also opened my eyes to inequities within um, how certain sports may be viewed mm -hmm. than others. It also opened my eyes to coaches give a lot of time and they don't get a lot of compensation, even though they don't expect it. Yeah. I really don't think they ever expect it. So a uh, lot of good memories, but a lot of uh, eye-opening things too. Mm -hmm. So, in, and you said you were a former professional soccer player. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, what did... Uh, um, what do you think made you a good coach knowing that soccer maybe wasn't your, like that wasn't part of your background to the extent that sometimes one would think a coach needs to have an expertise in that sport? I was actually the head coach for four, two years after my brother left and went back to the school for the deaf. And when I asked the athletic director, I said, why, <laughs> you know, I was the only applicant and he said, a good coach is somebody that cares. Somebody, you know, you can have all the skill knowledge in the world, just like with teaching. Mm -hmm. But if you don't care about the kids and you don't care about what's going to happen to them, it's not going to be a successful program. The kids were wonderful to me, mm -hmm. of course, <laughs> but you, because I recognize my weakness and you just work really hard to overcome those weaknesses. And the kids met me where I was we rocked and rolled and we had a good time. That's awesome. Sounds like you got some great advice from your athletic director who maybe was desperate for a coach, but found a gold mine. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? So you've mentioned a professor that had a, a formative impact on you. Is there any hero mentor type individuals that you want to mention? It would have to be my parents. My dad was actually, um, he worked in the mills. He was a contractor. And then later in life, he was a um, city of Lincoln policeman. And the one thing he always taught me was take care of those who can't take care of themselves. And I think that was a valuable lesson. Mm -hmm. He always taught me to treat people equally. And I think I've carried that with me. My mom, Nancy Riley, the same way. Um, I feel like she taught me how to be strong. Mm -hmm. She allows me to use my voice mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and she encourages me to, as far as personally, those two people, there is one educator that stands out and that was Ruby Parker. She was my high school librarian. She saw my passion. Uh, she saw how I worked with people, mm -hmm. all types of people. And uh, she also encouraged me to, well, she said, Leslie, when you get your first job, <laughs> be quiet for three years because we, you had to be tenured. Right. Okay. So right. she was afraid I would say something and be fired. 
<laughs> within the first three years. So she said, get your job, take your notes, be quiet the first three years, mm -hmm. then use your voice. And that was really good advice because it caused me to sit and look at everything mm -hmm. and not jump to assumptions, like really get to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Don't assume, but then start your advocating. Well, it sounds like you listened, which is a key. Yes, I did. A, a because thing. Yes, I did 30 years. <laughs> so I didn't get fired the first three. <laughs> you wrapped it up with 27 more where you could actually use your voice. That's good. So I'm, I've got two kids. I'm trying to be a better parent all the time. Tell me, how did, how did your parents instill that help others that can't help themselves? How'd they, how'd they do that? We were just around everybody. Like my parents never met a stranger. Mm -hmm. They were always, they've always worked in the public. Mom still does. And so she, they talk to everybody. They give everybody their time. They show each person that they have value. And I think watching them do that, um, if somebody needed something, they made sure, you know, with whatever means they had, they helped them get it. Dad, when he was a contractor, he would hire people, you know, who may be down on their luck, but, mm -hmm. you know, he would give them a chance. I watched mom, you know, just go out of her way to help other people. And I think it's just watching them because, you know, Lincoln County's not very, well, it surely wasn't diverse when I was growing up, mm -hmm. but I never knew that because they talked to everybody. Yeah. And I think that meant a lot. Yeah. Neither one ever met a stranger. Just true role model behavior or just modeling. Right. What they were trying to instill in you. Right. And that's what I've tried to do with my own kids. We sit down and we talk about all the hard topics and we... We've always said you need to always quote uh, Atticus from To Kill a Mockingbird. Don't judge a man until you walk a day in his shoes. And, and it's true. And my parents always taught us that too. Mm -hmm. So I try to get my kids to look at everybody's perspective mm -hmm. before they, they make any kind of judgments. Yep. Yeah, that's to sort of call out our mission statement a little bit. That's, I think, is such a key skill in a, in trying to be a good human is trying to see the world from another person's perspective, empathy, trying to be respectful. And that's the world would be a better place. I think if we had a good handle on that, that's great. Well, shout out to your parents and to Miss Parker. I'm glad that we're videoing this because when you mention a book, your like face gets lit up <laughs> noticeably, which is awesome. Is there any, any uh, book recommendations that you have for our, uh, our folks out there? You said you read, so I'm going to put you on the spot. I read a lot this summer and I will say, um, for the older people in the audience, what are you looking at me for? Older people, <laughs> they would probably enjoy all the light you cannot see. Okay. And that book is a whole different take on World War II because it's from the perspective of a French citizen when the Nazis invaded France, which was a whole different perspective for mm -hmm. me. Lots of science stuff in there for people who might like to know about science mm -hmm. because it deals with uh, a young girl whose dad who works in the Museum of Natural History, and he's giving... Um, 
the chore to hide one of their most valuable possessions because at the time the Nazis would come in and take valuables. Right. And then it's also about uh, two orphans who have a connection to the world through radio. Hmm. So it's a, it was a really, really good read. Okay. Then, um, is it fiction or nonfiction? Not uh, it's fiction. Okay. It's fiction. Okay. Anyway, I read some fantasy. Okay. This year. And so I read lore. So if you like the great gods and goddesses in this book, Zeus has gotten mad at his children. He's (laughs) saying you all have to go to earth every seven years to be hunted. And anybody that can assassinate a Greek god or goddess inherits their power. And this happens every seven years. That was a good fast paced. Yeah. Cool. Read. Okay. You mentioned your classroom library, and I have seen you talk about books. We've talked about books before, and <laughs> it's uh, it's sort of the, as an educator, you like to see that light bulb moment in your kids, you know, where they get something and that there's that moment. It's like, it's like that moment when you talk about books, because <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that it has a special place in your heart. So is there anything about you that some of our listeners might not know? That you're comfortable sharing. Oh, yes. Well, there was a time (laughs) when Mama wasn't Mama, and she uh, decided that she wanted to learn how to ride a motorcycle. Okay. And she actually took a class with, I think it's three or four of my other family members, including my mother. We took the Gaston College Motorcycle Safety Course. Okay. All right. Yep. Got my license. I think I rode for three months and wrecked it. Glad you're okay. Yes, grass hurts. Yeah. Grass, but it was okay. Um, but I will not give up that endorsement. I will pay that $20 <laughs> every time <laughs> just to have that endorsement. Okay. It was a fun time. I'm, I'm not allowed to get a motorcycle, but well, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> I hear that it's hear that it's amazing. My uncle says there's two types of riders, those who have wrecked and those who will wreck. So gotcha. Words I, of wisdom. I've got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> we know which one of those people you are. <laughs> I'm always looking for book recommendations and I'm always looking for where to eat recommendations. Where, as a Lincoln County expert, where do I need to make sure I have not missed from a restaurant perspective? Well, do you want one that you can eat at on Mondays? Because those are few and far between. (laughs) That is a problem around here. Yeah. (laughs) Not necessarily Mondays. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I eat out all the time because I don't cook. So I don't really have a favorite. You have the house of pizza. You can't Mm -hmm. ever go wrong with a house of pizza. Yeah. Um, if you want a good cheeseburger, you just have to go to Charitable. They're all good and Charitable. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I want to shout out because I eat everywhere. I was at Monset Lawn last night. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't mentioned anything that uh, is going to be controversial. I don't think so. Yeah, Vittles. Now they're okay. under yep. new management and yep. they're staying open later for the high school kids on Friday nights. Right. They can have a safe place to go and yep. um, can't go wrong with Zay's or. Local roots, any of y'all listening? Gift card would be nice. <laughs> um. <laughs> Good. All right. Awesome. Is there any songs or music that's sticking in your head? Can't get out of your head? I, you don't want me to start singing a song because then it'll be stuck. But well, uh, it's up to you. We did start this uh, with mentioning the king. So, yeah, but to me, Prince. Okay. 
prince you know i know the king was the king but i grew mm -hmm. up in the era of the prince okay so i grew up with the um purple rain mm -hmm. album and movie but as i got older i discovered gold okay and i think it has a really good message and it says everything that glitters is not gold mm -hmm. and i think that's what we have to remember just because something looks great doesn't mean that's what it is. Dullest things are the brightest things. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Mama Riley, I am a better person because I know you and you make us a better place and a better community. So I really appreciate you. I appreciate you spending the time and all of the love, blood, sweat, and tears that you put into your career, your soccer team, your adopted people, and Lincoln Charter for sure. So. Thank you, and thanks for spending a little bit of time with me on Edge of the Area. Thank you. Before we close the show, Ms. Helms and I are involving some student assistants with some of our episodes during Season 2. I want to shout out James Parton, who is currently a junior and a recovering former student of Mama Riley. <laughs> Uh, he's at the Lincolnton campus and he is doing some video work on this episode. I want to thank James and thank him for his work and we'll be excited to see what you do in the future, sir. Uh, details for James' work can be found in the show notes and you should see some of his influence associated with the edge of the airy in various capacities. This is Jonathan Bryant signing off. I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers for listening to the edge of the airy. Like everything at Lincoln Charter, it takes a great team to make this podcast happen. The Edge of the Airy is produced by Jonathan Bryant and Taylor Helms, and Ms. Helms is also our senior editor. Graphics and artwork are by Melissa Lasarski, and our music is brought to you by Next Mike, who you might also know as Michael Paulino Albin. Our team uses the free Spotify app to create each episode, which can be found at podcasters.spotify.com. You can listen to this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Feel free to rate or review this podcast. It may help others to discover this content. This is Jonathan Bryant signing off until next time.